0: Hi, this is Benoît Thanjan, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast, and this is episode 76, how CS Energy has grown rapidly and differentiated itself from other solar installers. I interview Kevin Magaia and Matt Tripoli,
1: who are with CS Energy, Kevin's the vice president of business development, and Matt is the director of project development. CS Energy, a leading integrated energy firm that designs and builds optimized projects in solar storage and emerging energy industries, and has been named the number one commercial solar installer by global research firm Wood Mackenzie. This is a great interview, and Matt and Kevin provide a lot of great insights. Some of them are um, how CS Energy has been able to grow by 20% per year. Also, how CS Energy partners with developers early in the process as a way to differentiate from other EPCs. They also discuss what other energy technologies that CS Energy is looking to construct. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and thank you for listening. we're all waiting for the Pennsylvania market. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of developers have already started putting applications in the PGM Internet Connection queue.
0: Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin. So let's get into it.
1: Hi this is Benoit Tanjan, your host on the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited about this interview with Kevin and Matt from CS Energy. Thank you for both being on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you and I think our listeners who we call Mavericks are going to find this episode extremely educational. And both of you have extensive experience in energy and solar and I'm excited to start this podcast. In the introduction, we talked a little bit about CS Energy, but it would be great to get a more detailed uh, description about the company. Kevin, can you talk about CS Energy and as well your background? I mean, it's pretty amazing. You've been at CS Energy for 15 years since you graduated from school and could really provide a really great perspective on the company.
2: Oh, of course. Thanks for the a quick 30-second recap of kind of who we are. We started as part of the Conky Group, which is a 118-year-old construction company, so family-owned, fifth generation. 2005, the CEO at the time had a vision for solar and wind and started two separate divisions. We got the momentum behind the solar group here in New Jersey with the programs that were ongoing at that time allowed us to really get our foothold in the solar sector and grow. So we are an engineering, procurement and construction company. We come from our construction roots and roughly right now we're close to a gigawatt installed to date. We have about 140 employees. We've built in 14 states across the United States, one international project. We went to uh, Israel with the Army Corps, which was a uh, cool experience for us. We had a chance to build in a whole new set of challenges. And in 2020, we're looking to do about 350 megawatts. Recently, we were really excited to find out that we are ranked the number one commercial installer by WoodMac. Congratulations. Uh, 2019. Thank you, appreciate it. By their Matt, we hold about 10% of the U.S. installed market share. So something we're really proud of and um, we're going to put something up on our website in the next coming weeks here at CS. That's something that we take a lot of pride in. Then just jumping a little bit to a little bit about myself. As I mentioned, it's been 15 years here. couple of gray hairs later, I think uh, it's very fair to say. Graduated from College as a mechanical engineer. And one of the, the things that attracted me about the company was the CEO was just tired of paying high prices for mechanical engineers. And he was like, all right, let's go hire some mechanical engineers and figure this out ourselves. So I was one of those mechanical engineers to try to figure out how to do mechanical pump stations and just like fire system design. So I worked out in New York for a few years, got a chance to put my degree to work, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, The company didn't have a lot of uh, mechanical work left, so tried my hand at civil. So we built heavy roads, bridges, tunnels, kind of the, the big stuff that's four-year long that sure. I used to hate getting stuck in, but then I ended up being the guy that held everybody up in traffic. So over the years, you know, kind of had a really cool story here is I haven't done the same role for more than two years. So I started, like I said, in the pump station side, went to the civil side, we had a pre-cash shop that I worked in. I was a superintendent, I was a project manager, and now I'm in business development. So got a chance to see different aspects of the, uh, the company. And right now, just working on determining the right size projects, types of projects, and who we build solar projects for.
1: Sure, that is really helpful. And you're the vice president of business development. Can you talk about how that's very different from your prior roles? In the past, I mean, it seems like complete opposite of the past and what you've done. And how has that been? Because you've been in each role for two years at a time. So there must be like a huge learning curve, but adaption, but you're very obviously comfortable with your previous background. And it would be interesting to get your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Definitely different. I think that when I look, kind of look back on those moments and looking back at my career, the thing I never really appreciated was like the art of a cold call. Uh, you know, when I first came into BD, I was like, love talking. I could talk to guys in the field all the time. You're building stuff. You pick up the phone and try to get somebody to give you business and they have no idea who you are. You're Clinton your state. It's very, very tough to break in. So I really gained an appreciation for being able to quickly hook somebody, convince them that they should have a conversation with you, and then invest their time and efforts into having you build their project. So that's probably like the biggest takeaway I've had from transitioning from kind of field operations side over to the BD sales side. The one common thread has always been customer service. So I think that's one of the things that's helped me actually be successful in the role. Whether you're building a project or developing it you up, know, or helping to develop it with our developers and customers, you're providing a service to them. So when you kind of boil it down to the basics, that's what makes us successful, being able to provide that customer service.
1: Definitely, that's huge. And that's a great explanation of the difference between more of an operations technical role business development role and then how CS Energy differentiates itself. It's about customer service, so that's pretty interesting. Matt, it's interesting because you have a very diverse background in energy. Can you talk about your background prior to CS Energy and how you got interested in solar?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I've uh, you know, been really glad to be here on the podcast. I've been a long-time listener. So uh, happy to be participating on this side of the mic for the ones not just listening. in, but um, <laughs> 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 Yeah, anyway, so I definitely, I kind of fell into energy coming out of college. I uh, studied as an electrical engineer at Penn State and just happened that the first company that gave me an internship was uh, Shell, the oil company. So I worked for a summer in Houston and uh, the next summer went to work as an intern for Chevron down in New Orleans. So that was August of 2000. 2005, I left my internship at Chevron to go finish up at Penn State and had accepted a job to come back and work for them full-time. And uh, two weeks later, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and really, uh, messed up a lot of the platforms and operations that Chevron had down in the Gulf of Mexico. And threw a lot of people, I was working with the time for a loop with all the impacts in their lives. So I moved uh, down to post uh, Katrina, New Orleans, a few months later. And the one good thing about being an electrical engineer in the post-hurricane environment is basically everything electrical was completely destroyed. <laughs> so I got a lot of uh, experience uh, rebuilding control and power systems uh, for uh, platforms out in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, actually, we had a lot of uh, solar panel and small wind turbine driven DC power plants run control systems offshore. I think somebody could probably fact check me on this, but I think I would guess that Chevron was one of the biggest purchasers of BP solar panels <laughs> <after> <laughs> that at that time, uh, just based on their asset base uh, down there and all the facilities they had. You know, every platform had its its own power plant that was running, whether it was you know run on natural gas with some generators or. Uh, using those DC power plants. So I kind of had exposure to that, but I you know, wanted to make my way back up to Pennsylvania. So I found an opportunity to go work for PPL, uh, formerly Pennsylvania Power and Light. So I worked as a distribution system engineer for them. So I worked on improvements to their uh, distribution system in central and eastern Pennsylvania for a number of years. And that was kind of when solar was first uh, coming in uh, to the Pennsylvania market. So when Pennsylvania was first having this alternative energy portfolio standard advanced. And uh, I got to work with some developers on some, you know, three megawatt-ish type solar projects throughout PPL's footprint. And then just was lucky that internally there was a position for a development and asset management job in uh, PPL's renewable energy business. So I don't know if you, know, if you remember that, so I transitioned to that job. And that's actually where you and I first crossed paths back in like a you know, 2010, 2011 timeframe. So we had a portfolio of uh, behind the meter solar projects, mostly in New Jersey and a lot of landfill gas energy facilities. So I worked on the development of additional projects uh, for that business, as well as managing our existing fleet. And so I got some exposure to the early days of New Jersey solar, and as well as uh, just energy projects in the PJM and, and development. So it was a Got my first beret into a space that I'm in right now.
1: And what made you basically want to stay in solar? You have a wide background in energy, and now you're the director of business development at Conti. Can you talk? Oh, not sorry, Conti, CS, well, oh, formerly Conti, CS Energy. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, actually, uh, I did leave uh, the solar space for a number of years So after TPL went through some transitions where they sold off their generation business. So before that happened, I went to work for a startup that was um, developing small natural gas power plants up in the Marcellus Shale place. So it was a good kind of combination of my experience working on smaller power plants with PPL and the distribution system, as well as my oil and gas experience that I had with uh, Chevron. So I got to fully develop projects, you know, from just an open farm field up to a power plant operating in the jam grid uh, for several years. So that was a really good experience that really got me exposed to the full suite of what developers have to work on for power generation projects. You know, always wanted to get back into renewables after the development cycle for that business started to draw to a close for the most part, I started looking for new opportunities and I was uh, lucky to find an opportunity to transition back into renewables and eventually ended up with CS Energy. So I've been with CS for about a year and a half now, supporting their development efforts and just really like to be a part of this company with the growth that's been going through as well as just the uh, general growth of the solar marketplace throughout the United States. There's lots of great opportunities for developing new projects.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's really helpful. And I know this might be a loaded question and not something easy to summarize, but can you speak to how the overall energy industry like impacts the solar industry? That's amazing now that I hear about your background and you verbalizing it, how you've worked in so many different aspects of it. I don't think there are many people who have that type of experience. Yeah,
3: I think a lot about you now that just going back to my experience at Chevron, really that kind of inspired me just to really like the energy space, just to see how energy impacts every aspect of our lives and our economy when i was there i was exposed to multi-billion dollar projects that took decades or more to develop and so just kind of put this kind of in the back of my mind that energy is something important and it's something hard to get done that we kind of take for granted in many ways i think about that a lot with power generation people kind of absent-mindedly flick a light switch and not, don't really think about where their power is coming from we've kind of gone through some pretty major transitions for energy just over the last few years in the U S and if you go back to your kind of year 2000, Pennsylvania state I live in was running on 60% coal for electricity generation. And now we're down to less than 25% in the state. And that's driven mostly by the expansion of natural gas. But, you know, there's another transition going on throughout the Northeast. And I'm a part of at CS Energy that's a transition to more renewable sources of power. So it's great to see how those different fuel sources and lowering cost of renewables really play into these transitions and getting to work every day. I'm being a part of making that transition happen is uh, something I'm really enjoying.
1: Yeah, definitely. That is really helpful to really understand that. And i appreciate I appreciate you explaining that, Matt. And obviously, we're going through a time with COVID-19, which has really impacted a lot of different industries. Kevin, it would be helpful if you could talk about how the solar industry or even uh, CS Energy has been impacted by COVID-19 and to get your perspective on that.
2: As everyone is probably experiencing with COVID, it brings a whole new set of unique challenges to the table and things that we needed to almost solve for immediately. I feel like the onset came pretty quick and as everyone kind of saw needed to take action quickly. Here, our biggest challenge and our priority was just the health and safety of our team. So I think we're we're operating in five states right now. Our teams are in offices, regional offices, as well as on-site physically doing the construction. So as each state had a different mandate and a different requirement, a different rate of the the spread happening with COVID, we had to kind of tailor a different plan for almost every team. So we ended up getting a task force together here. We had about 10 people on it, all internal company folks, everyone that had a different touch point in the company to kind of sit down and evaluate how do we keep our business going, keep the lights on, keep folks working, but also make sure that we're doing it in a safe manner, not being naive or being irresponsible with it. So as we're kind of getting towards the tail end of it right now, we're happy to say we didn't have to furlough anyone or lay anyone off. So we really concentrated on like, all right, how do we cut costs? How do we make sure we keep our guys working? How do we do it safely? But also, how do we keep our employees working because that's important right i think more now more than ever you can see the importance of having um, income and keeping the you know keeping the rent payments going the car payments going the mortgage payments going as all the craziness has happened out there so something just personally we put on the shoulders of our ceo but not to make his head large or anything but he did a pretty damn good job of managing the situation we did it safely we didn't have anyone fall sick on our jobs we did shut a couple projects down, you know, for New York, as I'm sure you've heard in the news. We had a stop, pause, order there. So, you know, we left everyone stay home. We shut the jobs down for a few weeks and then we're starting to to get back on our feet now. So that's the really the main effect that we're seeing. We're seeing some issues with tax equity getting closed right now. So folks are, you know, struggling. Developers are having to struggle a little bit to get tax equity to close. So we're, some of our projects we're slowing construction down with to line up with timing with tax equity closed. I haven't seen too much in the financing side being affected. The good part is we do a lot of work with like these IPPs. So they already have the funds set aside and money's in place and we can get the construction work in place in 2020. So we're hoping uh, to kind of run out the storm. There's always the solar roller coaster, as I call it. Give yeah. it something new and you never know what the roller coaster is going to be about. So this year <laughs> we got COVID to deal with, but we're just
3: kind of going along that solar ride and getting through it. Yeah. And one really cool thing that the company was able to do is actually one of our health and safety managers was looking for hand sanitizer early in the days of this health crisis. And you know heard a story about a a local winery that was making hand sanitizer, talked to them, was able to secure some to support his operations in his, his office. And then he talked to our CEO about that experience and how he might be able to support local businesses that are doing that kind of thing as the crisis unraveled. Um, so between him and a few other folks, employees that we have internally, we partnered with uh, distilleries in New Jersey, New York, and New England and purchased from them 337 gallons so far of hand sanitizer and coordinated getting it donated to hospitals, fire departments, and different businesses that needed it all kind of in those three states, so in New Jersey, New York, and New England. So it was pretty cool that we were able to take you know, that kind of need we as a business and kind of propel it into partnering with these local small businesses, these Distilleries to benefits in local communities where we're doing some of our projects.
1: Yeah, that's great that CS yes, Energy did that. That's pretty amazing. From a construction perspective, With COVID-19, obviously, each state is different. You know, Kevin, you mentioned pause. Obviously, you're not allowed to build in New York. How does it work as far as, like, what are the different sort of things? Like, obviously, it's maintaining social distance. Maybe with the solar project, it's easier because you're outside versus inside and being constrained. Can you talk about, I don't know if you guys know how, like, the construction is a little bit different or procedures with COVID-19. Obviously, you mentioned, like, hand sanitati- or sanitizers and now that's very important. I don't know if you, can you talk
2: to? Yeah, so we a um, couple of things that I, uh, our teams are practicing out there. We'll take the trailer, right? Normally your trailer is a 10 foot by 30 foot trailer and you've got five or six people packed in there. So we've kind of trimmed our teams back doing a rotation. A Couple of folks inside the trailer. If you have a chair, you have a computer, put your name on it. Kind of like doing the kindergarten way of things. Like this is mine. Like This is my area. Stay out of my box. So that way the, the cross-contamination or potential cross-contamination is not there. We open up work in different areas in the field to try to keep crews together. There's a balance between working alone by yourself and making sure you have a partner so you do something safely. So we've got to be really mindful with that. We are working with modules or are live soon they come out that box, right? There is a potential there. So you've got to be mindful of that safety. So you know, make sure you have gloves on, mask on, making sure we don't have large gatherings. But every day, talking to our crews, staggering the hours our crews are coming on site, gathering their areas of work, and then limiting our own internal folks on the field is really how we tackle the execution of the work in the field during COVID.
0: And is most of your corporate
1: team working from home now or virtually, or is that really dependent on what state?
2: I would say the entire team is working remotely right now, the, uh, the corporate team, which has been an adjustment, so... It's uh, it's been really interesting because not everyone is good about working from home or enjoys working from home, I should say. So some folks are like, I don't need a second screen or I'll just use my laptop. And then as you're like in day two, you're like, oh, I should have gotten that second screen. So (laughs) I think we are going through an adjustment of like figuring out how to So some simple things that everyone deals with. But I, I think it's amusing. So I'll share it here how to get dressed in the morning. Do you stick with a routine? Like, is it okay to wear a hoodie on a conference call? Or like, what does the dress go? there is that? Um, do I even comb my hair in the morning? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that that was like the first week I think we were shaking that out. We started forcing people to turn their camera on because one of the important things is like, you know, in the office, you take the face-to-face interaction for granted. Our teams always use Microsoft Teams to, to phone in the office folks have the ability to just kind of do it the conference room face-to-face stuff. So force people to do turn your camera on, have the interaction with your teams. But it also made us appreciate the struggles of our operations team when they're trying to interact with us here at the office because now we're all remote. We're all on the same phone. So I think it did help some of the difficulties that like I said before by putting everybody on a safe level field playing surface, if you will, or everyone on a level playing field and made everyone appreciate how difficult it is to communicate when you're not sitting next to each other. So
1: definitely. And I thought another interesting point you mentioned was. Uh, Tax equity, maybe not all the listeners are familiar, but the investment tax credit, which is 26% of the cost of the system, and then you have accelerated depreciation is dependent on a company having a taxable income, basically income to be able to take advantage of the credit. And obviously with COVID-19, a lot of companies are changing what their tax equity needs are, which is impacting financing, which is then impacting construction. So that's a pretty interesting point because I've heard and dealt with the same thing with tax equity taking longer to move forward with the projects. And it sounds like you're working with a lot of established IBPs, which have prior tax equity arrangements, which make it easier to get projects built, so. Fingers crossed that kind of keeps in that same trend. so. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Matt, it would be great if you could talk about what types of projects that CS Energy focus on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think by the nature of where we predominantly operate, that has driven the types of projects that we focus on. So, you know, we're a New Jersey-based company, kind of grew up with New Jersey solar business as it got rolling uh, in the mid-2000s. By the way, the programs there were designed, there was a lot of opportunity to do kind of mid-sized projects. Projects, you know, one to five megawatts in size, under 10 megawatts in size. New Jersey for a long time was you know limiting the voltage of interconnections you can make to their system and different things that drove the types of projects that were done. Similarly, you know, when we expanded, we expanded in the states like Rhode Island and Massachusetts that also focused on smaller projects, projects less than five megawatts in size generally. So we've done a lot of projects to get to the you know nearly one gigawatt of installed capacity we have, and you know, upwards of you know 80% of that has just been ground mounted arrays, mostly bigger than one megawatt in size and probably averaging about that kind of five megawatts in size. If we have one kind of um, type of project that we probably do more of than most other outfits, I'd say it's, it's probably landfill projects. So products on land cap landfills uh, might be part in just having that New Jersey base uh, that we have and there's a lot of brownfield opportunities in the, in the state of New Jersey and that state focused a lot on trying to incentivize uh, development on landfills early on but that's you know something we definitely have a lot of expertise in have we uh, kind of pointed to as, as an industry leader in terms of executing projects that are you know oftentimes uh, difficult or have unique challenges associated with not penetrating caps and making interconnections work when you're kind of confined environment
1: around a brownfield yeah definitely it's a lot more challenging doing brown brownfield. brownfield, landfill projects, but it's also great for solar because there's not many uses for that land, right? So that's why they're promoting it. You know, what's really interesting to me is that when you talk about one gigawatt and then that you're focused on distributed energy projects, that's more impressive, like how many projects that you would have to build to get there versus like if you're doing projects in Texas, Arizona, or or Nevada where they're huge utility scale projects. So that's amazing that you predominantly focused on the Northeast, it sounds like, and these smaller distributed energy projects to get to one gigawatt, which is amazing.
3: Hey, yeah, Kevin, we're up to, what, uh, 15 states that we've built projects in? Yeah, 15 states. Yeah, 15 states. Yeah. So I think our most recent one is, uh, addition is Virginia, I believe. We just uh, started a project in Virginia, but we you know, we did do some products in Texas last year, so we're very very proud of those and have done projects on the West Coast as well. But yeah, definitely, it's going to have that legacy position up in the Northeast uh, with a lot of experience in New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, other States. So.
1: Definitely. That's pretty amazing. And Kevin and Matt, it would be great if you could talk about like any particular recent project that you would like to highlight. That's, it would be great to understand more about that.
2: We've got a couple of good ones here. So we just completed the largest project in New Jersey, 28 megawatt project. We call our Earl project. It's on the Earl Naval Base. So that one was really unique a size in New Jersey. It's a community solar project. Working with the Navy has got its challenges. Right, So leasing land from the Navy is a tough feat. Our team was able to pull it together. Short construction timeline. We had to get the project built in 10 and a half weeks. It's called 11 weeks, depending on who you're talking about. So we basically worked day and night to make sure that we fell into the right state incentive program. That was at 5.1% that we had to make sure we qualified for. We talked to our operations team. That project is used for the benchmark of production, because we had our A-team on there just self-performing modules and racking install, and we teamed with one of our top subs here in Jersey to get it done. But... That was a cool project. We're proud to have gotten that one done, getting qualified, getting on time. It's interconnected and it's uh, producing power right now. It's great feat to CS Energy team and a great job getting it in the ground.
1: So you're basically saying 35 megawatts in 11 weeks, is that right? 28. 28 megawatts in 11 weeks. That's pretty amazing to do. And you're talking about to qualify for the s program. That's what you meant by the 5.1%.
2: Correct. I think that that one's been a great project. One more to pick on. Just, you know, we are an energy company now. You know, we were previously Conti Solar and I mentioned that previously we decided to rebrand to CS Energy because we were doing energy projects and came across a client and we were telling, oh, yeah, we're building a storage project. And they're like, oh, you're Conti Solar. Don't you just do solar? I'm yeah. Like, oh, that's a good point, actually. If you Google solar and solar or, or energy storage, you know, probably won't, we won't pop up. So we decided to do the rebrand. We did our first storage project in 2015. And recently completed a two projects in Indiana for a large utility. And one was a solar storage and one was a microgrid. Cool experience be one of the first projects to go into support basically an army base for backup power. They wanted a third power storage and diversify their energy systems. Anything crazy happens in, in the world, they've got a backup to their backup. So we got a chance to do a microgrid for their emergency systems, which was a great experience for
1: us. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I'm sure you're also looking actively at Solar Plus storage estates bringing bring in more incentives coupling the two technologies together.
2: We've kind of fell into this niche with some of our developers that we've just done repeat business with. I would say by the end of June we would have built 15 solar plus storage projects, majority of which are in Massachusetts. Sure. Total is about 130 megawatt hours we would have in place. We were able to have the right folks on our team that knew energy storage. You know, we brought a couple of veterans in from the industry. And right now we're actually self-performing the electrical work in Massachusetts for it. So I think we've got a good handle on solar for storage. We work with a lot of the top integrators that are out there. And as was with solar back in 2005, six, seven, it changes almost overnight technology wise. We're trying to keep up with the changes because by the time you design it, let's call it day one and get it permitted what, day 365? You know, Matt probably knows this timeline a little better than I do. Yeah. The technology is like completely changed and whatever was on day one doesn't exist because it just it improved so fast. So it's kind of cool to see that aspect of the energy storage market and we're kind of living it live. It kind of reminds us of what the solar industry was back in the day when we started.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And Massachusetts has the smart program with the adder for storage, which is why so much is getting developed. And I think another interesting thing is, even in solar, we're still seeing like wattages of panels, efficiencies increasing substantially. So it's interesting you're always re engineering those projects as well.
3: Just this past year, seeing the transition to more adoption of bifacial modules. Oh, that's has a been, uh, been really cool to see. I want to say about this time last year, there's a lot of confusion about albedo and all these different numbers you had to look at when you know, trying to analyze uh, what the actual gain was uh, from bifacial modules. and through a combination of just the sheer volume of a product that was put out by manufacturers and available to the market, and as well as a temporary exemption from tariffs (laughs) that bifacial modules received for a few months last year. You know, kind of forced, uh, I think, the overall industry's hand just to start and deploying it more. And it's almost become uh, expected that a product is going to have bifacial modules in, all, in most state markets uh, from what we've seen just in the last few months.
1: That's a great point, Matt. And it's interesting because they just recently put the tariff back on bifacial. So we'll see. Exactly. Never a dull moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As Kevin said, the color coaster...
0: This episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347 830 7 that's podcastlaundry.com or three four seven eight seven one eight two seven three. 871 8273 thank you.
1: Can you talk about other energy technologies that you're involved in or potentially looking at? Obviously, you mentioned solar, storage, microgrids. It's CS Energy, not Conti Solar.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we still like Conti solar. We still do it. It's a force to have it around here, so no, no offense taken, so no need to worry. To be honest, as a team, we're trying to figure out what the next big need is going to be and what the next competitive market would be to get into. There's a lot of buzz in the market with the electric or the battery pickup trucks, buses, things like that, we always look at it from an infrastructure standpoint, being that it's our core and how we had our upbringing, as you would call it. So I think that's like the next thing we're trying to figure out. Got These these tractor trailers that are powered by batteries, or how do you help them get powered by batteries as they go across the country? So yeah. things like that, we're kind of evaluating.
1: So is Not that like much- charging stations, really, and other? Yeah, correct. So like, I think
2: back to when we did our carports in 2012, 13, 14, 15, we used to install these charge points, car chargers all over the place. And at that point, the electrical vehicle was not really that prominent in your home fleet, if you will. Sure. But now we're getting a lot of customers calling us back say, hey, I in mean, that row you put in, I need like 10 more of those rows because people are taking advantage of companies that are offering free charging when you're at work and things along those lines. I think we'll see something very similar to that for larger vehicles as the technology advances.
1: Sure. And outside of electrification, is there any other things that you guys are looking at? And
2: there's some stuff there. It's the old dark board, right? You gotta kind of see what's out there, what's buzz, what's reality and like, what do you put your heart in? Nothing particularly right now. One thing that is, is kind of out there I'll, I'll share with the team is, you know, purpose, as these projects are now see, hitting their 10-year life and the technology is outdated, like, how do you upgrade an old solar farm to make it more cost-effective for you. We've seen a lot of those proposals kind of come out there. We've helped do some redesigns. Haven't done one yet. I'm hoping to do it very shortly, but that's probably the next, not just necessarily a new industry, but how do you re-engineer, is just the industry.
1: That's interesting. Does CS Energy, I saw on your website, you do O&M as well, is that correct? Or? Correct. Yep, we do. So that would be actually a unique sort of service offering to differentiate from other O&M providers looking into what you're talking about, kind of repowering older utility scale. That's really interesting because if you look at inverters and the cost going down panels and even coupling storage as well, I'm sure you get approached with as well, existing solar projects and adding storage. So that's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, we're definitely keeping our eyes open for it to see if it's an offering that we can provide to our customers. The good thing is we do, a lot of the customers we're building for right now, we did build for them back in the day, as I would call it, (laughs) <laughs> and one of the reasons why we were able to grow at about, like, let's call it 20% every year, which has been something we're really proud of, is we've been able to grow with our developers. We started with them with the 50, 100, 200 KW jobs in the early days of solar here in, in Jersey. And as they grow, we get the chance to grow and build their projects for them. So we've looked at a few definitely something we're toying around with. Maybe you and I can chat after and get some good get, get, get some good marketing going there for that one to see how I can sell it to our team here.
1: Yeah, definitely happy to help. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Is there other ways too that you think CS Energy differentiates? I mean, to me, it's amazing. 20% growth rate, one gigawatt, 10% of the market. What other things do you think? I mean, for me, like, It seems like the culture as well. You talked about client service, but then obviously it has to be from the culture as well, right?
2: Definitely. I think if I had to pick two things that really has allowed us to grow, one is our background. So when you look at projects, risk is the big looming cloud over a project. How do you de-risk something you have like called certainty? So our civil background really helps with that because that's usually the part of the project that changes the most. A trend that we're seeing is as projects get built, all the beautiful green flat lands <laughs> that you get sold on on day one don't really exist, right? Sites have a lot of challenges, with surface risk and a connection of routing wetlands, all the fun stuff that pop up. We have a great civil team here. We've built all these roads, bridges, tunnels, that kind of stuff, so we can really tackle a project with cost effectiveness in mind. So I think that that's one thing that's allowed us to grow as we can just take a project, quantify the risk and make sure that we build it for what we say we're going to build it for. The second one is customer service. I like to think that we're not jerks. And when you look at the industry and just people in the industry, like, you know, there's some people that are just a real pain in the rear. There's a value to doing business on a friendly manner and like with ease. You can't put a dollar value to it, but it is tangible. So like the ease of transaction is really something we value on. And it's the same thing with like the developers and the customers we build for. If somebody is particularly difficult to work with or just not a good culture fit with our team, we're okay with saying we fire a client or we won't work with those guys again. It's not worth fighting every day when you come to work with an owner, right? You want to have a pleasurable construction cycle when you put your project on the ground. So we've been able to find probably close to 50% of our business has been the repeat. So we're able to find that core group of people that are also growing and developing in different states that we can be one of their trusted builders for.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's helpful. That's huge, too. I mean, I think with people that you're working with, that they're transparent, honest, and direct. And obviously, you know, you could trust. So these are great points. Matt, can you talk about how you evaluate potential land sites for your customers? I mean, it's interesting because Kevin mentioned the point of it's not easy to find that beautiful flat land where there's no development issues with it. Can you talk about, for your clients, what you're looking for and how do you maybe mitigate those issues so that the construction will be what you quoting it to be or to make it economical for their projects? To pencil, that would be great to understand.
3: Yeah, I think a few things to point out. I mean, that you know, kind of having these repeat customer relationships allows us in many instances to get involved in projects at an earlier stage than we might have to just for an EPC contract. Kevin heads up a lot of work around what we call development assists, where we will actually partner with developers on the front end of their projects and provide you know kind of some uh, sweat equity in terms of design support, optimization support, just to kind of help them with general development issues. To make sure that they can be successful in the developments, and just kind of gives us a inside track to getting some EPC work out of that business. It's something we try to do more and more of as we develop stronger relationships with clients, and you know just to kind of differentiate ourselves further. Like Kevin mentioned, every and from my experience, no matter where the project is, it's got its character flaws, <laughs> and you have to deal with them. Right, so every yeah, project has its challenges. There's no perfect project out there, and what I've seen. So trying to identify what those risks are and just be on top of them is, is certainly important for EPCs, for developers, uh, for utilities, anybody involved in the projects.
1: Yeah, definitely. So obviously like the primaries, is like interconnection, right? Wetlands, whether the land is flat, how much site prep, right? Needs to be done potentially. Species as well, right? Potentially there could be. I'm just trying to think those are probably the major things that you're really working with your clients with. And I think it's huge that you're willing to get involved that early in the process and provide that sort of sweat equity. Because I don't think a lot of EPCs would really do that, especially sweat equity. And I think that's a huge differentiator. And I think too, like the customers, I guess, have worked with you for a very long time. So you have that sort of understanding and able to kind of work through the issues. That's interesting.
3: Yeah. And as we get more experience in certain state markets, you know, so probably New York is a great example of this. There wasn't much of a solar market in New York just a few years back. And we've established ourselves as a kind of a go-to EPC contractor in that space for community solar projects and for the emerging larger scale projects that are going to be built across the state over the next few years, just being the ins and outs of permitting and site design and construction in a state like New York that has a lot of things that are consistent across the state in terms of challenges. It just kind of gives us a leg up in terms of helping new clients with new projects and you know, trying to anticipate challenges and be on top of things that are going to be really important to the success of a project.
1: Definitely. That is really helpful to understand and that you talked about that. I think we've already talked about pretty much most of the markets that we focus on. I know, Matt, you're based in Philadelphia. You work a lot on the potential legislation for solar in Pennsylvania. Can you talk about what's happening with the market and some of the proposed policy changes in Pennsylvania? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about my home state of Pennsylvania anytime I
3: can. So uh, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. But, uh, so Pennsylvania had uh, one of the early uh, portfolio standards. So Pennsylvania has an alternative energy portfolio standard that was passed back in the mid-2000s. So at the time, it was model legislation that was uh, attracted a lot of initial investment. Um, so I think a lot of solar projects got done in the state of Pennsylvania early on. You know, some of that with uh, stimulus funding just for the timing. Of when that, that program got going, you know there was a lot of interest and a lot of nice projects got built. I got to be part of some of those at, at PPL. States like New Jersey, Massachusetts, New York have increased their portfolio standards pretty substantially since that time. And Pennsylvania has kind of kept theirs pretty stagnant. So Pennsylvania's portfolio standard actually plateaus next year. So it stops increasing. So as a result, there's a potential for a kind of a cliff in terms of the need for new sources of renewable power generation in the state moving forward. So I've been fortunate to be part of uh, a number of different coalitions that are trying to advance additional supports and interest in clean energy in the state of Pennsylvania. So there's definitely two that would be great to talk about a little bit further. So the first is around community solar. So I know you've had folks talking about community solar on the podcast in the past, but currently there's no way to do community solar in the state of Pennsylvania. So So there needs to be some enabling legislation that would allow the uh, state's public utility commission to kind of promulgate rules that would support community solar. So there's a House Bill 531 that I've gotten to be part of uh, working on. It's been um, working through uh, the legislative process in the state. so It's actually a bipartisan bill that has Republican and Democratic support. It's in one of the House committees right now and certainly hoping to see uh, some interest in moving it forward because it has a lot of support behind it. But essentially, it would allow community solar to happen in the state of Pennsylvania after uh, the PUC would set up rules for it. So I think that's a a great effort that if folks are more interested in seeing something like that happen in the state, they can kind of take a look at that bill, House Bill 531. And uh, there's a companion bill in the Senate um, that supports the same thing. Additionally, there's a number of efforts going on to to look at the state's uh, portfolio standard to see if there's ways to tweak it, make it better or or expand it moving forward. So actually, two Republican senators just introduced a memorandum supporting some additional legislation just over the last few weeks. So it's great to see some bipartisan interest in advancing the clean energy economy in Pennsylvania and creating some opportunities. And there was a similar effort launched by some Democratic senators last year to try to increase the portfolio standard moving forward as well. So that type of effort, I think, is going to be really important to draw investment into the state of Pennsylvania and create more opportunities. There's been a lot of big, splashy projects announced in the state in recent years. Penn State University did set a PPA with Light Source BP. The city of Philadelphia has a PPA with NG for a large solar farm in the middle of the state. And there's a number of other similar projects that have been announced in recent weeks and months. So it's great to see those big projects starting to come to pass. But I think for the state to really kind of catch up to some of its peers, it needs to be some additional supporting legislation like those two bills I talked about.
1: Yeah, that is really helpful. I know we're all waiting for the Pennsylvania market. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of developers have already started putting applications in the PGM Internet Connection queue, hoping that project, that there'll be some favorable legislation in Pennsylvania.
3: Yeah, definitely part of that, uh, that solar coaster and uh, some hope and prayers for some uh, some good opportunities down the road
1: potentially, I guess, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I was going to see what trends are you guys seeing in the solar industry? It would be great to get your perspective as one of the largest EPC players in the U.S. Just What trends in the market you're seeing in solar? Uh,
2: yeah, there's a lot of different things that are kind of moving targets, if you will, but you got to pick a couple. I think the one thing we are seeing now is a lot of portfolios come out. So, you know, on the smaller DG side, I think instead of these one off or two off projects, you're seeing groups of five to seven projects. Let's call it 20 to 30 megawatts kind of coming out in the Massachusetts, New York, some New Jersey areas. So really looking at the New England region, which is kind of cool. So allows you to kind of concentrate on one customer, value engineer an entire portfolio instead of doing these one-off projects and kind of building teams around that. So that's a really like something that we look for. Everything's uh, something nice to see in the, uh, in the industry. Obviously, helps with transaction costs and construction financing and all that stuff. Sites are definitely getting tougher. I know we kind of talked about this when you're signing out land. Every new opportunity that comes in, I like to take a look at the permit documents first to see if it's a turtle, a bird, a bat, a frog of some sort. There's always something. They kind of find it entertaining now to try to find what animal is on this parcel that we need to cater for. You know, We've done some pretty crazy stuff just to be able to get our sites in. As the sites get more and more difficult, you kind of have a light sense of humor about it to understand that you have to work around this potential nesting crane that's 10 feet away from you once a year, maybe if it shows up, things like that. But sites are getting tougher and economics get tougher. You know, the administration sometimes doesn't do things that help our help our industry. We've got to find ways to drive costs down. And, you know, we figure it out, which is like really cool as an industry to see. Like things, people are, you know, you have to squeeze your costs. You know, there's less incentives with like, development fees and sale prices and stuff, but it gets done, which has been like really nice to see. So when the pressure is on, the industry reacts and gets it done, which is pretty cool. Um, So even though there's a roller coaster happening, the ride hasn't come to a stop yet. We're still going along along with it. So that's been kind of cool. Trackers have been something that we've seen trend-wise. You know, in the Northeast, we're building our first tracker in Connecticut right now, which we never would have done before. People are crossing around trackers in like Maine and New York and all that. So it's kind of cool to see those technologies that were like, oh, West Coast technologies, they got land, it's <laughs> Midwest, it's wide open, you know, it doesn't work here. Um, some of that stuff is now coming into the, the East Coast, which has been pretty cool to, to see trend wise. Those are probably a couple, a couple off the top
3: of my head, that I think are kind yeah. of cool to see myself. Yeah, I would just point to too. There's interesting to, to see the dynamics between the federal and state regulatory actions. So, yeah, very exciting to see the news about Virginia expanding their um, clean energy programs. You know, a few months ago, it was a huge push by the industry to try to get support for that. It's really a, a great milestone to see that state. It's got a lot of uh, demand for electricity in it. Uh, kind of taking that aggressive approach, and New York did something very similar last year, which is you know, a big part of our business moving forward. But you know, at the same time, at the federal level, you have—you uh, know—we're dealing this week with you know an executive order on protections for the bulk power system and from equipment manufactured by foreign adversaries and trying to figure out what that means <laughs> yeah. for projects and clients and how to best uh, address those types of things. There's you know, there's never a dull moment, like I mentioned before. There's always a new challenge around the corner yeah. and something new to address. So definitely, I'm sure that trend is going to continue and uh, get to wake up every day and try to solve problems, which is a fun part of, of working in the solar industry, but it makes it interesting for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a pretty interesting thing with the bulk power systems and what we're seeing in the federal... I actually spoke to Kelly Speaks-Bachman. She's actually the CEO of the Energy Storage Association about that. And they're working actively uh, with the DOE to get more clarification and definition because it's still very nebulous. Very nebulous, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good word. Yeah, that's a euphemism that I could think of. And what's next for CS Energy? Like, what are your goals? What do you see? I mean, I'm sure it's new markets continuing to build your expertise. Is there anything?
2: We're going to push as much as we can to maintain our 20% growth. We don't want to grow too fast. That's also something we're very mindful of. Sure. We don't want to grab a couple of 400 megawatt projects, 200 megawatt projects and and build those. I call them BragaWatts, I think is what (laughs) they're is. Yeah, uh, we're very mindful of that. So we want to build projects for the right clients. If we really want to get to like that point of 80% of our business is repeat business. Yeah. I think it's our long-term goal. Just a consistent goal for people that we know as the industry is kind of weeding out some of the one-off companies, but having the, the trusted folks who are reliable that we can count on and grow with. I think that's probably like the, the big growth, big thing we would count on to help with our growth. So 20% growth, finding that core group getting to 80% repeat business and like figuring out what's next, right? We are an energy company and we chose that name so we can diversify. So next big thing is to come. And as soon as we have our eyes dotted and T's crossed, we will, we'll grab you and we'll kick out another podcast because we'll be <laughs> excited to jump into that unset industry, whatever that is that's next. So
1: Yeah, definitely would love to have you again on the podcast to talk about. And that. You, know, you made actually a really great point because you have to determine which developers you have to invest your time with, right? You know, you're doing sweat equity and putting your capital at risk and resources at risk. And as you've mentioned, BragaWats, you know, every developer you speak to, but then how many are actually successful and, and scaling and repeatable. So that's pretty interesting perspective.
2: A lot of it is, I make this analogy a lot of time. It's like dating. Yeah. dating. Does this work for you? Does it not work for you? Like, what direction are you going with your life? Where am I going with my life? Can we still hang out together? You know, if you really look at it from that perspective, that's really what we're doing here, right? Hopefully we kind of work with together and figure out if we can grow in the same
1: alignment uh over the next few years. Definitely. That, that's great to know. Matt, you know, I appreciate you being a listener to the podcast. And it's interesting because when we met last or a while ago, you mentioned that you got used to hearing me at two X speed. So that's <laughs> I should talk in two X when you came by my office. Right. Hey. Yeah, you should. I mean, I've been I've listening to podcasts uh, since I used to drive to the heliport
3: to go offshore you know, in the Gulf <laughs> yeah, of Mexico back in you know, the mid-2000s, so this is uh, very exciting for me today to be, uh, be on a podcast for the first time, so I really do appreciate the opportunity, and, uh, you know, I think it's a great medium for these kind of longer-form conversations where you get to just kind of dive deep into some things and, and talk and just, uh, you know, really impressed with what you've been doing uh, with the show, so, you know, keep it up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for both of you being on the podcast. This is an amazing interview. I mean, there's a lot of great perspectives that you've brought to the industry and our listeners, which I really appreciate. And the transparency as well. If our listeners want to learn more about CS Energy, and also potentially like as well to reach out to you, like what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Uh, I think our website is probably the best. If you go on there, they chose my picture. It wasn't me, that chose my picture on there. Uh, <laughs> there's a contact us on the bottom of there. If you click at the email, it comes right to me. And then, you know, I can get it to the right person internally, depending on the topic. But our website's a great resource. We manage it daily. That's kind of what we use for communication. We also have a ton of social media platforms, right? We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the, the usual suspects. So we try to keep up with our content there on a daily basis as well. So. You're free to send a message there's a ton of ways to track this down we'll get back
1: to you <laughs> yeah and i'll we'll put that in the notes of the podcast as well so that it's easier for everyone to find the links yeah thank you again matt and kevin for being on the podcast this is a great interview and thank you for your time today
2: same era it's enjoyable I appreciate it yeah, yeah thank thanks molly
0: Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at RENEUEnergy.com. The Solar Maverick podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thanjan and Kevin Y. Brown.